Hello, all you hardheads. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are in this wonderful world of ours. Welcome to the Hardheaded Sports Podcast, episode number 41, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. And what a fantastic day it is. We got some incredible NFL draft stuff to talk about today. We're going to be talking about it for the entire show today. It's going to be a great show. I am so happy that the NFL draft returned. I think if there's one thing that it took away from the NFL draft over the last couple of days is, wow, did I miss the NFL draft. Obviously, the NFL draft was all virtual last year, done from Goodell's basement or something like that, something or the other. And although, you know, it was it was fine, but there's nothing that can replace the the moment of all these kids having their NFL dreams realized right before a nationally televised audience. There's nothing that can replace that. The draft was exciting. Teams were trading up. Teams were trading down. There were surprise picks. There were head scratchers. There were great value picks. The draft was so exciting. The tension and hype was there. And it was so much fun to watch. There was live music. And obviously there were fans in Cleveland there attending the event live, uh, especially on night one. There was so much fun to be had, and I just miss the NFL draft. And maybe I am a little bit partial because there is a part of me, obviously, because since I cover collegiate sports, which is which is very partial to the fact that you get to know these kids when they're playing at a specific university, and you get to see them have their dreams realized right before your eyes, and it's incredible to see. An interesting fact I read earlier this morning uh, before the show is that for five out of the last seven NFL drafts, the first overall selection has not been in attendance. And I found that to be really, really odd that for five out of the last seven NFL drafts, the number one pick wasn't there. And obviously Trevor Lawrence wasn't there last night and he was in his home in Seneca, South Carolina. I think that's where it was. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It was in Seneca, South Carolina. And, uh, you know, that's a little bit sad <laughs> that the number one overall pick apparently just doesn't like going to see Roger Goodell. But I thought that was a little funny tidbit to start off the show today. A little funny fact. I, I will say this, though. I will say this. The, to the NFL production team, this is about the second or third year in which I have recognized and said out loud while watching the draft Man, can we not focus on the faces of the NFL fans while these kids' dreams are being realized? Can we not focus on the faces and the reactions of the NFL fans when these kids get drafted? Because it's very evident that they do not know who these players are. I, I don't remember if it was, you know, specifically Kadarius Toney when he was drafted by the Giants at number 20. I don't know if it was that pick or if that was another pick. It happened a couple times, but... I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but they will focus on the faces and the reactions of the NFL's fans of the NFL fans when these people are drafted, when these young athletes are drafted. And the further and further you get into the first round, the further and further you recognize and you understand that these people have no idea who these players are. And obviously for me, I'm not a casual football fan, so I know who all these players are, and I'm taking notes and I'm saying, okay, I can see why they're going for there. That's a great, you know, fill need. That's a bit of a reach, or, you know, ah, they probably could have traded out of that slot and gotten the same person. That's a little bit of a, you know, a mistake on their part. So I'm like analyzing the draft because I understand who these players are and I understand what they can do and I can understand what the teams are going for, whether or not I agree with them. That's another story. But these fans have no idea. <laughs> so when people are getting drafted that are not named Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Trevor Lawrence, and maybe Panay Sewell, uh, since you've heard him being the top five pick, you know, talk for at least a year and a half now, 
uh, you know, if, if you're not named those guys, these casual football fans don't know who you are. <laughs> they don't know who they are. So the, the camera is on the face of these fans and the name gets announced. And I don't know if there is a delay. Maybe that's the reason why. I don't know if there is a delay, but you see the mental cogs turning in these fans, these fans faces, um, especially in their eyes. The eyes are very, t- very telling, especially if they're wearing masks. <laughs> You can see the mental cogs turning as they go uh, with the 20th pick in the NFL draft. The New York Giants select Kadarius Toney, wide receiver out of Florida. And you see the fans take a long pause. (laughs) Take a long pause. They're like, "Uh, uh, uh, oh, oh, all right, wide receiver. Yeah, woo! Go blue! Yeah, woo! Yeah, what's his name? Kadarius Toney? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know if they say go blue um, uh, in, you know, New Jersey or whoever the Giants fan. I don't know if you say go blue. If sorry, if you don't, I'm completely sorry about that. But can we stop focusing on these fans faces when the when these kids are having their dreams realized? Because if I'm getting drafted, if I'm getting drafted, I would not want to go back and watch the recording of me walking across the stage and my name getting called. And the thing that I see is a gigantic eye roll from Mary Beth who doesn't even, you know, watch the games on Sunday. She has, she has cataracts or something. She can't really see the television. I don't want to see a gigantic eye roll from her during my big moment because she doesn't know who my name is and she doesn't know the football player that I am. And maybe that's a little bit selfish, but hey, these are some of the best players in the world coming out of college. You know, maybe you can have a little bit of an ego in that in that regard, but man, I would just not want that. I would not want that to happen to me to be drafted and have the fans of the team that I'm going for just have completely no idea who I am and see the gigantic cogs turning in the brain of these football fans and the eye roll, you know, of of you know, trying to figure out who this person is that they're drafting. And again, I don't know if there's any delay in the production. Maybe that will make it seem a lot worse than it already is, but I it's the second or third year in which I've been screaming at the television to the NFL production team or the NFL draft, the ESPN, you know, whoever, whoever's producing the draft. It's been the second or third year in a row in which I've been screaming at the television. Do not show the fans. Do not show the fans. They don't know. They don't know. Even the super fans might not know. They don't know. You know, <sighs> I really hope that they stop doing that. I can understand if there's nothing else to, you know, to, to see in the production meeting, you know, if, if, if the player is not with his family on a camera that they have in the houses sometimes, or, you know, if, if, you know, if there's really not a good angle of the player, like I understand, but man, again, I would not want my name to get called on draft day and have, you know, the lasting image of me being drafted, <laughs> being Mary Beth from, you know, Princeton, New Jersey, rolling her eyes because she doesn't know who I am. Uh, but maybe that's just a little bit of a, of a nitpicky thing. We're going to talk about the entire NFL draft today. Sorry to start the show off with that long, elongated rant, but we're going to be talking about the draft throughout the show today. I don't know necessarily if I'm going to cover every single selection in the first round of the NFL draft. I don't know if I'm going to go team by team, but I'm going to try and cover a majority or at least of what I find interesting. And uh, I guess a good place to start and where I want to start today when talking about the NFL draft is probably the pick that I feel the most strongly about the one that I, you know, was very fired up about and not in a good way. I want to talk about uh, the pick that I absolutely hated. And the first time in the draft that night in which my jaw dropped the floor and it stayed there before I started banging my head against a wall and pounding a table. And for those of you who are on YouTube, you already know what this is because you've seen it in the title, but the Bengals picking Jamar chase over Panay Sewell 
at number five overall in the first round of the NFL draft. I'm going to try, <laughs> I'm going to try to not go on an elongated rant here about how much I dislike this pick. And I will have you know that I've been trying to see the lighter side of things over the past 24 hours. I've been sitting here thinking of ways in which this pick is a good selection and trying to see the light at the end of the tunnel and seeing why the Bengals would choose Jamar Chase over Sewell. Obviously, Jamar Chase is a tremendous athlete. He's going to be one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. This much we know. He's going to be a fantastic player. That is not the reason why anybody will dislike this pick. It's the fact that Joe Burrow literally had his knee turned into a blender last year, and he tore his ACL, and I think he tore his MCL too. His leg, his leg is bonked, you know? It's the fact that he was on course for 53 sacks in a season, and he is coming off an injury, and you have a generational left tackle, left tackle sitting there for you at number five by the grace of God because the Jets and the Jaguars needed quarterbacks instead of other positional needs. You have a generational left tackle there to protect your quarterback who's coming off an injury. He was going to be sacked over 50 times last season if he continued playing. And you take Jamar Chase, wide receiver out of LSU. Again, I'm going to try not to go on too much of a rant, and I'm going to try and see it from both sides here. But let me tell you, everybody, I was banging on my table. And I don't normally curse on the show, and I'm going to have to bleep this out in editing. But they f up so badly here. They messed it up. Now, I understand that there was a connection in college. Joe Burrow threw to Jamar Chase in 2019. Jamar Chase had one of his best seasons in 2019 with Joe Burrow as his quarterback. I get it. I understand where they're coming from. I don't put so much emphasis or weight on the whole you know, chemistry thing. Where it's like, oh, you give Joe Burrow his college wide receiver, that's gonna, you know, instantly, you know, make the offense so much better. And yes, you're right, you know, chemistry does matter. I don't put too much emphasis on the chemistry between, you know, college teammates because the college game and the NFL game are so drastically different. You're not gonna get away with some of the things that you got away with in college. So yeah, the chemistry is important, but when you're reading NFL defenses, it is a little bit different. And sure, as I said, the problem is not Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase is going to be a fantastic wide receiver. It was just not the right selection. You know, the Panay Sewell, the left tackle out of Oregon, who I think the Bengals should have, dra should have drafted, and pretty much everybody else thinks they should have drafted as well. Panay Sewell has been mocked to go to the Bengals for months and months and months now. And the Bengals have been so lucky. Everybody's like, oh, the Bengals are so, so lucky. They need a left tackle. And there is Panay Sewell, a generational left tackle, sitting for them at number five after he was mocked at the very beginning of like last year to be going number one or number two overall. And again, as I said, if the Jaguars, the 49ers, the Jets, and whoever have you were not in the need for a quarterback, he probably would have gone number two or number three overall behind Trevor Lawrence. But the fact that the Bengals were just bad enough to be able to sit in that number five slot to have Panay Sewell and then pass on him again, I'm gonna have to bleep this out. They f***ed up so badly. Joe Burrow again was on pace to be sacked 53 times last season. Now, the Bengals did draft uh, guard Jackson Carmen in the second round, and they did bring in Riley Reef from Minnesota to help the offensive line. Uh, in the offseason and free agency. So the line got better, but there's a couple reasons why that still doesn't matter to me and why I still think they should have drafted Panay Sewell. And the first of it has to do with the division that they play in. 
you are the you as the Cincinnati Bengals, and this is why the Cincinnati Bengals are perennially in the top ten when it comes to draft position. This is always why they're picking in the top ten. You have the Browns, who got much better on defense this offseason. They had a fantastic defensive draft. They got Owusu uh, Karamoa in the second round. They got Newsom the second out of Northwestern. They got a steal in the first round. Newsom should have gone much, much earlier. They got really good on defense in the draft. They also got much better on defense in free agency. So the Browns are going to be really, really good on defense next year. You have the Ravens, who lost a lot of defensive pieces. They draft Jason Oa with their, I think, their 30th selection. So they got a new raw defensive edge rusher. They lost Matthew Judon. They're going to need a little bit of repairing. But the Ravens always seem to have a pretty good defense. They have very good developmental talent in Baltimore, when it comes to their defense, Jim Harbaugh knows what he's doing in that essence. And then you have the Steelers, who had one of the best defenses in the NFL last season and the best edge rusher and sack, um, excuse me, pass rusher in TJ Watt last season. So, again, in a division in which you have TJ Watt, the Steelers blitz heavy, come at you defense. The Browns got better on defense. The Ravens are always good at defense. And you take the wide receiver. Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard it said time and time again by every former player and ESPN analyst, the battle is always won in the trenches. And in that division, you are losing the battle. You, uh, By drafting Jamar Chase, you are willingly admitting that you're going to probably lose the battle on the offensive line more often than not. And it does not matter how good of a wide receiver that you have. It doesn't matter how good your wide receiver core is if you don't have the time to throw to them. So it's either going to be a lot of checkdowns, which obviously Jamar Chase has tremendous run-after-catch ability. That's probably going to be one of the ways that they utilize him. And so it's either going to be short passes, screens to be able to get Jamar Chase some space because with that offensive line, and sure, they drafted Jackson Carmen, they brought in Riley Reef, they brought in other offensive line help, so it's not going to be as bad as last year. But you could have had a really solid left tackle to sure up Joe Burrow to make sure that he does have the time to throw to you. And it, it seems like history is repeating itself. And I, and I thought about this earlier. Remember A.J. Green? A.J. Green was probably the best wide receiver that the Bengals have had in the past 10 seasons. Phenomenal player. He went to the Pro Bowl every single season, I believe, in his first eight seasons before not going in 2019 and 2020. To me, this feels like A.J. Green all over again. A.J. Green only went to the playoffs with the Bengals four times, and obviously they didn't win. And that was with Andy Dalton as the quarterback. It feels like A.J. Green over again, all over again. You have this great, talented wide receiver. He's going to go Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl, but you still aren't going to be able to win games. Now, whether that's specifically because of the offensive line or whether that's for different reasons, obviously the Bengals, again, perennially picking in the top 10 for a reason. But still, I just can't get that out of the mind, the fact that A.J. Green... You know, we they had A.J. Green for multiple, multiple seasons. He was one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Now he's gone. He's in Arizona. And granted, he didn't have that great of a season last season. But I see, I see history repeating itself here. And again, in a division in which you're playing with the Ravens, the Browns, and the Steelers, all who have good to elite defenses, Joe Burrow is going to get killed again next season. And... It's so rare to find a generational talent at, at offensive tackle. It really is. The, the thing that boggles my mind is that even though this wide receiver class isn't necessarily that fantastic, I mean, there have been better wide receiver classes. Wide receiver is one of those positions that I feel like is so easy. It's probably the easiest position to find generational talent at. It's so easy to find good receivers because there's so many of them. There's so many of them. 
And, you know, whether that would have been Rashad Bateman or Elijah Moore, there were other options to help Joe Burrow out in the second or third round. There are other options there, and there's continuously great options every single year. And again, as the Bengals, you're pretty much, you know, drafting in the top 15 pretty much every single year. There would have been a great receiver next year for you to draft. After you drafted Penesul this year, you sure up the offensive line, you give Joe Burrow time to actually develop instead of running for his life. There would have been better opportunities to find a wide receiver later in this draft or even in the first round of next year's draft. And I know what everybody's also saying is that, well, well, this draft is really loaded on offensive linemen. It's a great draft for offensive linemen. Yeah, but again, Panay Sewell is a potential Hall of Famer by all projections. Hall of Famer generational offensive tackle talent. Joe Burrow was coming off a season in which his knee was absolutely blendered. I forget who he got injured and what game he got injured, but you're coming off a season in which Joe Burrow's knee just got completely blendered and you essentially just said, hey, Joe, you know, you're probably going to get killed again this season, but at least you have your former college wide receiver. It's just like, mm, God damn it. Ah. It's, it's, it's a mind-boggling decision, and I could not believe it. I absolutely could not believe it. I I hope that Joe Burrow doesn't get hurt again. And maybe I'm being overreactionary. Maybe it's not going to be as bad. But I just could not believe that they took Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell. Again, the, the Bengals had been talked about as being so, so lucky to have Panay Sewell drop them at number five because all these other teams needed quarterbacks. He would have gone number two or number three for sure if those teams did need or didn't need quarterbacks, rather. And the Bengals go and draft a wide receiver. It, it makes absolutely no sense to me. It's such a shame. It really is such a shame. I had the last thought about, you know, the Bengals selecting Jamar Chase. It has escaped my mind. So I'm just going to switch gears here and, you know, start talking about the positive. The, the rant about the big bad Bengal pick is over, ladies and gentlemen. I want to start talking about a team that I did not think I would be talking about when I was thinking, okay, we're going to have a one really good pick and we're going to have one really bad pick. And I did not think that the New York Giants and Dave Gettleman would be the team that I would be talking about today in terms of saying, wow, this team is surprisingly having a really good draft. Now, first of all, I just want to, I want to give a, you know, round of applause for Dave Gettleman. He was 0 for 54 or something in trading back with his selections as his time as the general manager. And he, you know, he, um, <laughs> he traded back twice, twice in a row. Uh, I could not believe it. Now, granted, you know, some people may be saying, well, why, why do you think the Giants are having that great of a draft? And granted, I wanted to say that they're having the best draft out of anybody right now, but that's so subjective. And it's so hard to say that when there's actually a lot of good teams or a lot of teams rather that are having good drafts and they're making really smart selections. I think the Miami Dolphins, New York Jets are, are, are some of them. The AFC East got much, much better. The AFC East is turning into a really interesting division. Uh, it used to be kind of the joke of the AFC, but now it's turning incredibly, incredibly interesting. And I'm all here for it. Um, but back to the point at hand, uh, Dave Gettleman really surprised me. And the Giants are having a really good draft in a year in which they need to have a really good draft and really try and surround um, Daniel Jones with the talent that he needs to be able to succeed and um, in a make or break year for him. Now, I had projected that one team. I wasn't sure who it was in my mock draft. I thought it was going to be the New England Patriots. I had the feeling, I had the sneaking suspicion that there was one team that was going to absolutely take advantage of the Bears who were panic trading, who were going to try and hit the panic button so they can go up and get a quarterback. And they did do that. They traded with the Giants to take their number 11 selection to draft, to, uh, draft Justin Fields, quarterback out of Ohio State. 
And Dave Gettleman absolutely got a haul from Chicago. And I was really impressed with this. They got not only, you know, they not only swapped first picks this year, but they got the Chicago Bears first round pick next season, as well as a third round pick. I can't remember if that's exactly correct, but the big news is that they got Chicago's first round pick next year as well. So uh, Dave Gettleman got an absolute haul from Chicago and from Ryan Pace, who is definitely scrambling and panicking to save his job and to get a good quarterback. And we'll see, and we'll talk about it on the show on some point on whether or not I think Justin Fields is actually going to be able to succeed in Chicago. I think out of all the quarterbacks that got drafted on Thursday night, Justin Fields fell into the worst situation out of all of them. Mac Jones got a great situation. Trey Lance got a great situation. Zach Wilson, I guess the jury's still out, and obviously Trevor Lawrence is going to be Trevor Lawrence, or at least everybody thinks that he is. Some people have concerns. I don't really have concerns at this point about Lawrence. But again, back to the the topic at hand, I was so impressed with Dave Gettleman. I was really impressed. They absolutely fleeced the Bears to to have them, you know, trade up from 20 to 11. And then they drafted Canarius Tony, wide receiver out of University of Florida. And some people may scoff at this pick. Some people maybe maybe thought that the, you know, the Giants should have gone defense. A Quiddy Pay was available at this point, and he's supposed to be one of the better you know, pass rushers in this draft class. And of course the Colts pick up Quiddy pay with the next pick at 21. Some people think that the, uh, the giants should have gone defense and they did go defense and they got great value in the second and third round. They drafted Kadarius Tony for at, at 20 overall and Kadarius Tony. And I can tell you with having watched him in person multiple times, this guy when he is absolutely healthy, and that's a big win because he did have injury troubles in his time at University of Florida. When he is absolutely healthy, this guy is a scoring machine. You get Kadarius Tony the ball, and he will get you yardage, chunk yardage, and often find the end zone. This is a great draft selection. So now you're looking at a Giants offense for Daniel Jones, right? That is returning Saquon Barkley. Added Kyle Rudolph. Added Kenny Galladay. You still have Slayton. You still have some of the remaining wide receiver core from last season still there. You have Evan Ingram. Unfortunately. <laughs> um, so you have Kyle Rudolph, Kenny Galladay, Evan Ingram, Darius Slayton, and now you have Kadarius Tony, which out of the slot, he can be an absolute menace. And I know you're thinking, well, you spent your, you know, your first overall selection on, on a slot receiver. Kadarius Tony can really do it all. He can come out of the backfield. He can run jet sweep. He can run wildcat. He can run pretty much whatever kind of offense you wanted to run. And he will be a valuable asset. I absolutely love the selection of, Kadar- of Kadarius Tony by the Giants, especially in the fact that you were able to trade back, get such a valuable playmaker at number 20, and you were also able to get Chicago's pick, Chicago's first-round pick next year, and I don't think that the Bears are going to have a good season next season. So at the very least, you're probably going to be picking in the 10 to 15 range again next season, and with Daniel Jones being on such a crucial year, a year in which he has to succeed, you were not only able to be able to plan for the future in case that doesn't work out, you get an extra first-round pick, but you're able to help him this year with some talent. It was a fantastic move by David Gettleman. The Giants are quietly having a really great draft. And again, ha- I-, I did not think that I would be sitting here today talking about the Giants being the team that actually had a really good draft. And uh, here we are. And again, they did a really good job. They traded back in the second day as well. And they ended up getting... Um, Oh, what is his, his name? is a is a mouthful. His name is a mouthful, and I'm forgetting it. So let me check that really quickly. Uh, Aziz Anjulari. He is a probable 
first round pick. He should have been a first round pick. He got injured during some pro workouts, which kind of made him slide a little bit. Uh, but he's projected to be one of the best pure pass rushers in this draft, which the Giants definitely needed. So they weren't able to, or they elected rather, to go Kadarius Tony at 20, and they were still able to get one of the best defensive pass rushers in the draft in the second round as well, and trading down in that as well. Then in the third round, they got Aaron Robertson, cornerback out of UCF. He's going to be a really good slot guy in the NFL. He's going to be somebody to help James Bradbury. And they brought in somebody else in the offseason at cornerback as well. So the defense is pretty good for the Giants as well. Hey, I've been saying that the Washington is going to be running that division for a couple of years now. The Giants have come out of nowhere with an incredible offseason. So look out for the New York Giants. And again, I'm very hesitant to say that they're having the best draft out of anybody. I wanted to say that they're having the best draft out of anybody. But I think that uh, the Jets are also having a good draft. I think the Dolphins are having a good draft. The Browns are having a great draft. You know, these teams are having really good drafts. So it's very subjective. And I can't say that one team in particular is having the best draft. That would be silly of me. But David Gettleman surprising everybody in a crucial year for his strength quarterback, you know, a quarterback that everybody was like, Daniel Jones, I don't know about him. You know, it was kind of a pick that was memed, you know, him taking Daniel Jones over anybody else. And granted, looking back on it, it was probably one of the better moves in that draft or one of the better selections at the time. Regardless, you know, this is a year in which David Gettleman needed to get it right. And he's so far has gotten pretty much everything right. And now it's going to be on the shoulders of Daniel Jones. And I've said it before on the show. I, I, I mocked and I memed the pick of Daniel Jones when it happened, but I really want Daniel Jones to succeed in New York. I really want him to succeed. And I, I'm not biased in any way towards that in terms of, Hey, the giants are a football team. I'm, I'm unbiased in you know, my, my, my team's favorisms. I'm unbiased, but I want, you know, Daniel Jones to succeed and the Giants have turned in a really good draft. They did a fantastic job and I was really impressed with Dave Gettleman. I was also really impressed with the 49ers. So maybe, maybe impressed isn't the right word for it. Maybe relieved is the right word for it. And I was really happy with the 49ers draft selection. Uh, they drafted Trey Lance, quarterback out of North Dakota State University, with their third overall selection. This is the quarterback that they ended up going with after trading with the Dolphins to move up to number three and whether or not this move will be worth it in the end, that's going to be something that's up for debate for years and years and years now, as well as the, you know, debate of whether Justin Fields should have been taken in the slot by the 49ers as well. I imagine that we're going to be talking about Fields and Lance, you know, paired together for years and years to come as to who has the better career. Uh, Wilson and Lawrence will kind of also have that kind of competition similar to how when Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota went number one and number two back to back in that draft and it's like okay well who's going to have the better career and it turns out neither of them uh, <laughs> depending on who you ask but you know that conversation that that argument is going to be had and debated on sports shows and your favorite you know you know ESPN analysts for years and years and years and years should have been Lance should it have been Fields they chose Lance was that a good decision should they have even traded up to get a quarterback at all This is something that's going to be debated for a long while, but I think they got it right. And that's the important thing. I think that Trey Lance is probably the best fit in a Kyle Shanahan system. And Shanahan's a brilliant play caller. He's a brilliant offensive mind. And I'm excited to see what he does with Lance when Lance finally gets the chance to see the football field. Uh, it's good. It's going to be good for, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo to play this last season, to be able to mentor and tutor, Trey Lance, even though I I would always worry about kind of the the relationship between those two quarterbacks. Sometimes it works out. I think, 
you see it work out in some cases like, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua Tungviola in Miami. Sometimes that, that, you know, relationship could be beneficial or it could turn out like Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love in Green Bay. And obviously those are a little bit different. Um, but I would worry about, you know, the relationship with any quarterback, but I, I hope for Trey Lance's sake that Jimmy Garoppolo understands what it is, understands the business and says, look, I'm going to mentor you. We're going to play together. We're going to win as a team and we're going to try and win a Super Bowl. Again, I'm very excited to see what Kyle Shanahan does with Trey Lance in San Francisco. I think he's perfect for the offense. You need to have mobility in the NFC West division. The Arizona Cardinals defense got much better. Now J.J. Watt is out there with Chandler Jones. The Seahawks defense is a little bit of a question mark. They're going to have to reload. That defense is not what it used to be. And then you have also Aaron Donald and uh, Leonard Floyd out there in Los Angeles as well. So, you know, there are some good, fast, mobile defenses there in the NFC West, and you need mobility in your quarterback. Not to say that Jimmy Garoppolo isn't mobile, because he is, but Trey Lance is an extra gear of mobile. It's going to be more like when Kyle Shanahan worked with Robert Griffin III, but except, you know, Trey Lance actually has a throwing actually has some throwing ability. Um, it's going to be very, very similar, I imagine, to what Kyle Shanahan did with Robert Griffin III when he was in Washington. So it could be, I, I think, you know, train lights is going to be much, much better. But that's probably the starter comparison that you can make right now in terms of what you can expect from the 49ers and Trey Lance. And again, I am so happy that they chose Trey Lance over Mac Jones. It was a ginormous uh, smoke screen. It's like the 49ers really like Mac Jones. And I was sitting here saying, I like Mac Jones too. Trust me, I do. But... In San Francisco, it would have been a tremendous oversight. And I've said it once on the show, and I'll say it again. I think that apart from Justin Fields, apart from Justin Fields, every quarterback found a really good fit for them. Zach Wilson is still up for debate. That's still out for the jury to decide. But Trevor Lawrence, obviously, he's got Urban Meyer there. It's going to have a good coach. I, I don't necessarily know about you know the draft selection of Travis Etienne with their second selection in the first round. Maybe that's a conversation for another day. Uh, interesting comments by Urban Meyer as well. So maybe we will talk about that another day. But Lawrence is going to have, you know, everything that he needs, or at least to begin have everything he needs in Jacksonville. They got running back. They've got receivers. Um, you know, Zach Wilson, it appears like Joe Douglas is doing the best that he can to actually find and help him, unlike he did with Sam Darnold. So obviously now Zach Wilson has Elijah Moore, wide receiver out of Ole Miss coming in. He's got Elijah Vera Tucker, guard and tackle from USC. And, you know, Justin Fields is now going to have to, basically single-handedly deliver the Chicago Bears offense to uh, the promised land. Trey Lance, as I've already talked about in the segment, has a great situation in San Francisco. And Mac Jones goes from Nick Saban to Bill Belichick. If you are talking about the crown jewel of coaching, Mac Jones has gotten the crown jewel of coaching throughout his entire career so far. So I think everybody found a really good fit apart from Justin Fields. I'm worried for Justin Fields. We'll talk about that another day. To be sure, but when it comes to Trey Lance and the San Francisco 49ers, I think the 49ers drafted the right guy. This is something that's going to be debated for years and years after this draft as to whether this was the right decision or not. But on paper, and just kind of spitballing and imagining what this 49ers offense can look like in the up-and-coming years with a refined and 
uh, matured, not necessarily matured in terms of you know mentally, but football matured player in Trey Lance. He's got a cannon for an arm. He you know has the legs to outrun anybody. He could be extremely exciting to watch. Almost like think of even if you want to go this far, think of like a return of Colin Kaepernick in a way. Um, very very similar play style. So very very good for San Francisco. They could gel with you know Trey Lance immediately and start him early. But I imagine Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be starter week one, and he is going to be able to mentor Trey Lance. It's a great situation for Lance. I'm happy that the 49ers took Lance over Mac Jones. I, again, Mac Jones would have been a tremendous oversight, and who knows? It's probably just a ginormous you know smoke screen to get people in the media like myself talking about a bunch of nonsense. But again. Uh, really happy for Lance and the 49ers. It looks like a happy marriage. It looks like a beneficial and happy marriage. But I'll tell you what's not a happy marriage. <laughs> Speaking of marriages, I'll tell you what's not a happy marriage, and that is Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Um, oh, boy. Now, I, I, I guess I'll start off by saying this. I am always... Ne- I, oh, how do I say this? I am always willing to admit when I'm wrong. I will be the first to come out and say it. That's kind of one of the staples of the show. It's like, if I'm wrong, which it doesn't happen all too often, but... When I'm really wrong, I will come out and say, all right, I was really wrong. And we were talking about, you know, the situation between Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay when that clearly fake draft day trade between the Packers and the Patriots was surfacing around the internet last week before the draft in which Jordan Love would have been traded to the Patriots for the Patriots 15th overall pick. Something along those lines. It was a clearly fake trade, but I was intrigued by the question of what it would mean for the Green Bay Packers. Would trading Jordan Love be able to mend the relationship between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers? And I said, probably not. I mean, it might be a good gesture. It'd be a really kind of messed up gesture from a, biz- a, a football business standpoint uh, to try and sell somebody's career just to fix your relationship with your, your QB1. But you know, regardless... Uh, I said essentially no, you know, a a championship is the only way that the relationship between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers can really be fixed. Because even if you do draft weapons and you succeed next season, Aaron Rodgers is still going to be like, hey, look what I told you. See what happens when you give me some weapons to work with. See what happens when you give me some people to throw to. You know, and I said on record that I didn't think that the situation in Green Bay was that bad. I'm like, I'm not buying into the fact that, you know, the situation is unbroken and unfixable. I think there's tension there. There's definitely some truth in the tension between the two parties, but it's not unfixable. And apparently I was just really, really wrong because Aaron Rodgers, almost a year to the day in which Jordan Love gets drafted by the Packers in the first round of the NFL draft, Aaron Rodgers comes back with a toxic bombshell saying to multiple sources within the team that he doesn't want to return to play for the Green Bay Packers this season. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I I didn't think that Aaron Rodgers had it in him. I didn't think that he had just this, 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 I don't necessarily want to call it pettiness, but I didn't think that he just had this, this revenge in him. Like he's out for blood. He's out for revenge. This is calculated. And it's hard to, you know, see this as just a coincidence that this is coming out the night of the draft, as opposed to any other moment that we've been talking about the relationship between Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay, because let's be honest, the relationship between Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay is a constant talking topic. It's a constant debate topic on your favorite, uh, you know, sports debate show. The fact that this comes out the night of the draft it can't be a coincidence. This is, this is calculated revenge by Aaron Rodgers, and I didn't think I had it that 
I didn't think that he had it in him. I was so, so surprised. And, you know, when I took a second to think about it, I'm like, hmm, maybe he's not the goody two-shoes that I would uh, that I thought he was. And granted, I know that Aaron Rodgers has displayed some toxic behavior before, but I thought mostly that he was a good stand-up guy. And it's very, very clear to me now that he is out for blood, and he is going after the Packers for the mistakes that he, that he has. And it's not just about drafting Jordan Love. It's not just about his drafting issues. I think it's really just a, culmina- a culmination of a bunch of things. You know, I said it when we talked about that that fake Jordan Love trade. If you had told me that the Packers had Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, back to back, some good defenses, some and you know a really easy division for most of the time, and they only have one Super Bowl win with two of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game, they have only one Super one one Super Bowl title. What would you? I I would have laughed it off. The Packers have been knocking on the door of a dynasty and knocking on the door of a Super Bowl for so so long. The fact that they only have one is kind of insulting, and it's been a tremendous waste of Aaron Rodgers. And I think that Aaron Rodgers is fully realizing that because hey, if you're that close to the Super Bowl so many times and you just can't get there, it wasn't Aaron Rodgers last season. It wasn't Aaron Rodgers. He had an MVP year. He played some of the best football we've seen from him in a long time. It wasn't Aaron Rodgers. So. Now we're coming in with this calculated toxic move to kind of ruin the Packers draft day, just like they ruined his draft day last season. And I did not think that Aaron Rodgers had it in him. And I see him, you know, hosting Jeopardy and he seems so intelligent and quick on his feet and methodical. And when you pair two and two together, it's like, hmm, maybe he actually did have this in him. Maybe he did have that, that, that calculated, uh, you know, moment with himself saying, look, I am going to stand up for myself and I am not going to take this BS from my organization anymore. And again, it's not necessarily about drafting Jordan Love. It's not necessarily about the contract situation. I think it's a pile up of a bunch of things that the media has spoken to you over a while when you're saying, okay, you can see why Aaron Rodgers would be continuously frustrated. And the fact that he's not winning with teams that he should be winning with. I, I, I really did not see you know, this coming from Aaron. And, you know, I, I don't know if, you know, it's it's a salvable situation. I'm not going to, you know, speculate. I'm not going to do any speculation on that. I imagine that he'll probably work it out. Uh, I know I just said that I didn't do any speculation or spe- speculation, but I'm generally a positive person, so I would like to imagine that everything gets worked out. But, man, this is a calculated move by Aaron Rodgers, and... If that's the end of his time in Green Bay, how sad, how sad would that be to not get another championship? He's been knocking on the door for a couple years now, and it's been something, whether it's been the Green Bay front office, a lack of talent, a bad defense, it's been something that's prevented him from, you know, getting that second ring that, again, if you told me that the Packers would have Brett Favre and then have Aaron Rodgers and have Aaron Rodgers be almost better than Brett Favre was, and they only have one championship, it's not title town in Green Bay anymore. It's not. And it, it, there's something that's seriously wrong in the front office with the Green Bay Packers. And sure, you know, it comes to draft night last night, and instead of drafting a wide receiver in the first round, they draft Eric Stokes, cornerback out of Georgia. And, you know, that's not a horrible pick. You know, I think a lot of Packers fans, after, you know, the, the events of the day, were probably feeling like, oh, man, are you serious? Aaron Rodgers is about to leave, and you're drafting a cornerback instead of a wide receiver? They did get Amari Rodgers out of Clemson in the third round, so, you know, Aaron Rodgers does have a new weapon, conveniently also named Rogers, maybe another Rogers to Rogers connection, but I don't necessarily think he cares about that. Um, you know, I know Packers fans were in their feelings on Thursday night when they drafted Eric Stokes, cornerback out of Georgia with their, what was it? 29th selection. 
it was a good pick. You know, it was a position of need for Green Bay. They re-signed Kevin King. Eric Stokes is probably the fastest cornerback in this draft, I would imagine. So, you know, it's a good pick by the Packers, just not the one that they would have wanted, you know, because they're probably like, give Aaron some weapons. Please give Aaron some weapons. The Packers have had a fine draft. I mean, Eric Stokes, again, it's a good prospect. They got a replacement for... um uh, Corey Lindsley, who left in free agency. So they got a center, and then they did get a wide receiver. So they've had a decent draft so far. It's just, uh, under this under this ginormous, you know, microscope of Aaron Rodgers potentially leaving town, and everybody's like, we need to keep Aaron Rodgers. We need to make him happy. You know, to have everything unfold like that, this was calculated revenge by Aaron Rodgers. He's out for it. He's going to either leave the place in a burning shamble, or he's going to use this as a power move, kind of like Russell Wilson did in Seattle to try and get what he wants. And maybe that works. Maybe it doesn't. Again, it's hard to speculate about what's going to happen. We have no idea. All we know right now is that Aaron Rodgers is is over it. He's pissed. And again, I'll admit when I'm wrong, I did not think that he had it in him. I didn't. So we're going to end the show today with some winners and losers. You know, I thought about giving out, you know, grades for every team in the NFL draft. And I said, that's just so boring. And that's a lot of work. I just want to do winners and losers and, you know, have a little fun to end the show today. I'll talk some winners and losers in the NFL draft. And the NFL draft isn't completely over, but all the important stuff is over. And I know that makes me seem like a casual football fan because, oh, what if you find the next Tom Brady in the sixth round with a hundred and, you know, 54th selection? And I'm like, well, if you do, then that's great. But, you know, we, 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 we won't know that. And we're not going to know these people until, you know, further down the line. So winners and losers from the 2021 NFL draft. Let's go with winners first. The first winner that I want to talk about. The first winner in the 2021 NFL draft is Kyle Trask. And Kyle Trask specifically because out of all of the quarterbacks that were projected to be going in the first three rounds of the NFL draft, Kyle Trask was an interesting one. Kyle Trask is a quarterback out of University of Florida that has tremendous arm strength, probably one of the more gifted arms in this draft class specifically. But his his magnum opus, his, you know, Achilles heel was the fact that he just makes some stupid, stupid throws sometimes. And you'll see that on tape when you watch Kyle Trask. It's like, why are you throwing into triple coverage like that? Like, I know you have fast receivers at Florida. I know you feel like you could probably out throw, you know, your competition. But Trask just made some stupid decisions. And sure, you know, he was a Heisman candidate at one point. But the the decision making for Trask was always inconsistent. So to go to Tampa Bay... To learn from Tom Brady, who is the best game manager, the best decision maker, the best decision making quarterback in the history of the league, apart from being the greatest quarterback of all time, to be able to go and learn from Tom Brady, Kyle Trash, Kyle Trash, (laughs) unfortunate, I apologize, um, Kyle Trask could have the opportunity to be a legitimate successor to Brady in Tampa Bay if he takes on some of that knowledge and learns from Tom Brady. I couldn't think of a better landing spot for Kyle Trask to be able to fix what his problems were in college than going to Tampa Bay and learning from the best decision maker of all time. Kyle Trask is an absolute winner. Next winner, the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins had a really good draft, and I know everybody's screaming, they didn't draft a running back, they didn't draft Najee Harris, he was available at 18, and they didn't take him. Jalen Phillips is a bad, bad dude. A bad, bad dude. The the Dolphins haven't had a solidified number one pass rusher since Cameron Wake left. And sure, you know, there was some good pass rush last season by the Dolphins, but to have two people on both sides of the ball, on, on both sides of the line, that can equally provide pressure... 
on the quarterback is extremely important. The Dolphins also obviously got Jalen Waddle number six overall. He has Tyreek Hill-like speed. He could be another deep threat for Tua Tungaiola. I love what the Dolphins are doing. They're building around Tua. They're committing to him, and that's something that's really rare to see. It's really rare to see a team commit to their their first or second year quarterback as strong as the Dolphins are. I think they're done and they're they're tired of being stuck in mediocrity. I love what they did in the second and third round as well. Um, Howard, or excuse me, Howard. Holland coming out of University of Oregon is safety. He's a ball hawk. Uh, it's going to be a great replacement for Rashad Jones, who left a couple of seasons. The Dolphins have not had a solidified good uh, safety, a ball hawking safety in a long time. A lot of their interceptions and takeaways actually came from the uh, the cornerback position. So that's a great win for Miami. They had a really good draft. Another winner is Ryan Pace, general manager for the Chicago Bears, who saved his job by panicking and selling the soul of the Chicago Bears franchise to draft Justin Fields at number 11. Look, Ryan Pace is a winner because Justin Fields ended up being the quote-unquote run to the litter. I've used that phrase a couple times leading up to the draft. The quote-unquote runt of the litter ended up being Justin Fields and Mac Jones. To be able to take Justin Fields at number 11 was huge. Great for Chicago. Chicago is going to have a good quarterback, or at least a very dynamic quarterback. We don't know how his career is going to come out just yet, but Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy just saved their jobs for at least another couple of seasons, because I don't know how much is going to be expected of of Justin Fields coming into the first two seasons, but Ryan Pace is a winner because Justin Fields fell in his lap and he had to trade up to go and get him. And granted, we'll see, you know, how beneficial that is moving forward, but Ryan Pace saved his job. So he's a winner because of Justin Fields. Speaking of Justin's, another winner is Justin Herbert. The Chargers are another team that had a very quietly good draft. Rayshon Slater fell to them at number 13. Justin Herbert has another new offensive lineman to help on the offensive line. Chargers had a great free agency in terms of getting offensive line talent. They got a potentially one of the best tackles in the draft in Rayshon Slater, who can also play guard if necessary. Justin Herbert should be a very happy man because he got a lot of protection. And now it's going to be interesting to see what Justin Herbert can do with an actual offensive line is to, uh, to stack up on what he already did last year. Last winner, we're going to do five winners, five losers. Last winner is the Cleveland Browns, who had a really good draft. If you want to talk about getting value for your draft picks, this year for the Browns is probably a perfect example of that. They get Newsom, the second cornerback out of Northwestern, at 26. They fell to him. Uh, he fell to them at 26. Great pickup. And uh, they got Jeremiah Usu karamoa linebacker out of Notre Dame. I thought he was going to go much higher. I thought, you know, uh, Karamoa was going to be a top 15 pick, top 15, top 20 pick. And they were able to get him early in the second round. Fantastic pickup. The Browns defense got so, so much better. They also got another deep threat, uh, threat for Baker Mayfield. Uh, again, OBJ went down with an injury last year. And that over-the-top threat was taken away from the Browns. And they really struggled in the long passing game last season. So now Baker Mayfield is going to have another long weapon. Uh, the Browns obviously still have another day to go, but they have had a really good draft. And I think the Browns on the verge of a Super Bowl run had another great draft. They're going to have a lot of talent moving forward. Now moving on to the losers. And this is where we're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to poke some fun at people. First loser is the Raiders. I want to think about what I want to say here. Uh, Joe, uh, John Gruden and Mike Mayock should be fired by the end of the season. Now, I know the Raiders have been taking a lot of, you know, risky draft picks, but their first round draft pick was Alex Leatherwood, tackle out of Alabama. 
uh, a guy that was supposed to be going in the second or third round. I think it was supposed to be projected anywhere from like 60 overall or something along those lines. And they got him at number 17. Apologize. My voice is going here. We've been talking all morning about the draft. They got him at number 17, and it's just like, that's such a stretch. I mean, you can see why the Raiders are continuously getting worse and worse every year. They blew up the offensive line in the offseason, so I understand why you would want to take a tackle, but Christian Derisaw was still available at that point. He was still available, and he's a much better offensive tackle than Alex Leatherwood is, in my humble opinion. Alex Leatherwood is a stretch. John Gruden and Mike Mayock have been being, just making so many dumbfounding decisions with the Raiders' first-round draft picks. They drafted Cleveland Farrell in 2018, in which he's only had six sacks in two seasons, and he's supposed to be a ginormous pass rusher, and he just has not been able to produce. Next loser is Joe Burrow. We talked about it at the top of the show. Look, Joe Burrow, actually, let me be more specific. The next loser is Joe Burrow's knee because it's going to be in jeopardy again after the Bengals, in a dumbfounding move, decided to go get Jamar Chase instead of Panay Sewell. (sighs) I feel so bad for Joe Burrow. He's going to be under pressure a lot in a division in which all the defenses are really, really good. I feel horrible for Joe Burrow. Next loser is going to be the Green Bay Packers. The Packers, obviously, for reasons we just discussed, not only were, you know, are they in jeopardy of losing their Hall of Fame quarterback in Aaron Rodgers, but they really didn't do themselves any favors by drafting a quarterback in the late first round. Look, I like Eric Stokes. It's excuse me, it's probably not that bad of a draft pick, but realistically speaking, oh man. The Packers just did not lose. You, when your Hall of Fame quarterback comes out on the day of your draft and says, I don't want to play here anymore, that's an instant loss. You can't recover from that. It's it's Mortal Kombat. It's a fatality. You can't recover. Uh, next loser is the Dallas Cowboys. I felt so bad for the Dallas Cowboys and Jerry. Um, it's It felt like they were always getting jumped by another team or they were always getting super unlucky. The two top cornerbacks in the draft went number eight and number nine. And so the Cowboys, who desperately needed a cornerback, had to settle and trade back and, and get Micah Parsons at 12. And, you know, Micah Parsons is going to be a fantastic player. It's going to be a great draft pick for, you know, Dallas, but it's probably not the one that they needed. They have Leighton Vanderesh. They have Jalen Smith. One of those two is probably going to be moving on at some point, especially with Micah Parsons there. But the fact that they got ripped off by Carolina and the Broncos back-to-back, Carolina took J.C. Horn, uh, Broncos took Patrick Sertan the second. They needed a cornerback, and they just couldn't get it. And then in the second or third round, they were getting jumped by more and more people. They had to take a safety that they didn't necessarily want to take. Or, excuse me, they wanted to take a safety, and they couldn't, so they took Kelvin Joseph, a cornerback. So they did end up getting that cornerback, just not the top 10 quarterback that they wanted. Um, Poor Jerry Jones. It seems like the Cowboys just got absolutely fleeced this year, and they got stomped over. Not because they just made bad draft decisions just because everybody got to the punch before they did. So Cowboys are a loser. Final loser is Goodell's lazy boy chair. Can you imagine the amount of fan farts that are in that chair? I would not, and maybe it's not even Goodell's chair. Like I would, I would wedge bets or or wage bets that it's probably a fake chair. Um, (laughs) but Goodell's lazy boy saw a lot of stinky fan butt last night in, you know, a, a cold and, and dreary day in Cleveland and poor Goodell's Lazy Boy chair. There's probably a lot of, of sparkles and glitter and, and soaked up farts in that chair. And just not very pretty. 
definitely a loser from the NFL draft. And that's the end of the show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening and watching. It was fun to talk about today. I had a great time. We're going to be talking about the draft for a lot of, of more episodes on the Hard Headed Sports Podcast. So make sure you stay tuned for that. So on behalf of that, and with that being said, that you've been listening to the Hard Headed Sports Podcast, episode number 41, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. Stay hard headed, everybody, but have a nice day.